does it ever seem as if we are in a battle with the culture to try to rear our families in a way that God would have us to go? I know that many of us look around about us and we feel as if we are strangers in a foreign land. We feel as if the world which we once knew has been taken by upheaval and thrown around and now we're almost at a loss to understand why people think the way they think. However, I would remind you that if you go throughout the Bible, you will notice that those who are God's people have often found themselves in conflict with culture. Because those people who serve God allow God to direct their lives. And when it comes to our homes and our families, the decisions that we make, the direction that we follow, how are we going to be what God would want us to be? Well, I have mentioned over the past three to four weeks the fact that we want godly homes. But in order for us to have godly homes, we have to go to Scripture and let it direct us as to the way we ought to have our homes. Last week, we talked about some of the great lessons that were found in the historical books. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about some pearls from Proverbs. The Bible teaches us that God blessed Solomon with an incredible wisdom. For instance, in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, we read, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceeding great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. God gave him an incredible amount of wisdom to the point where Solomon, it says, wrote 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. In verse 32 of 1 Kings 4, we read, though, that his wisdom became so impressive that people came to hear him. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. When you get to this letter or the book of Ecclesiastes, and moreover because the preacher was wise, he taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. You and I would do well if we would take time to let the book of Proverbs speak to us about the wisdom of Solomon and there to discover some great lessons about how to have godly homes. I will tell you that I spent a considerable amount of time the past couple of weeks just looking at every passage I could find that addressed the home. One thing I realized is that such could not be done in one lesson. But I'm not going to preach two lessons. What I'm going to do is to try to limit what we will study to some of the more profound passages. But what we're going to do is to organize that under three headings. We're going to talk about what Solomon says and the wisdom that God gave him about spousal relationships. Husbands and wives, what do we owe one another? What do we owe God to make our homes as God would have them to be? And then to look at the parent-child relationship. God has something to say about parents, and he has a lot to say about children as well through Solomon's wisdom. 
And then finally, to look at a few passages about a sibling relationship. So get your Bibles. Let's look together. Let's begin. And let's begin, first of all, by understanding the perspective that Solomon has on marriage. He said in Proverbs 18 and verse 22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. Proverbs 19 verse 14, Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. I could spend a lot of time talking about those two passages but I just want to point out a couple things to you. When you find a wife, you found something that's good. But it also can cause you to obtain the favor of the Lord. Some of us men can look and say that the spouse that God gave us made us better. Not just better here in this life, but better in pleasing the Lord. And when you get a wife or you get a husband who helps you please God, you better give thanks for them. He goes on to say, a prudent wife is from the Lord. Just like many of us maybe have had fathers or grandfathers who've left us an inheritance, something riches that you could be able to spend, something even more valuable than that is a good wife, a good spouse. Solomon would also point out, that not only can you have delight in the home from a good marriage, you can have grief in the home when the marriage isn't what it should be. My guess is, if I were to ask each of you, do you have the perfect marriage? Most of us would say no. We would say no because I'm not a perfect husband or I'm not a perfect wife. And there are times in our marriage when it's not going the way it ought to be. But I want you to listen to Solomon as he describes the marriage relationship and the delight and then also the grief that would follow it. In Proverbs 12, verse 4, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. When you have a good wife, she makes you look better. She's like the crown of the head that draws the beauty to you. But then he talks about the one that's not, and he says, this is like rottenness to the bones. In chapter 14, verse 1, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman pulls it down with her hands. In our marriage relationships, we are either contributing toward it going in the right direction, or we are pushing it in the wrong direction. And we need to sometimes step back and say, am I trying to build my marriage? Am I trying to build my home? Or am I letting my behavior make it worse? In chapter 30, verses 21 through 23, For three things the earth is perturbed, yes, for four it cannot bear up. For a servant when he reigns, a fool when he is filled with food, a hateful woman when she is married, and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. You hear that phrase, a hateful woman when she is married? Evidently, she was a hateful woman before she got married. And there's enough in that for each of us to ask a question if we're contemplating marriage. Some of you young men, some of you young women are dating someone. Are 
are they the kind of person who is going to make your marriage happy or are they going to make your marriage grief? You see, there's a lot in what Solomon is saying here. In chapter 21, verse 9, and then verse 19, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. You see, it can get to the point where you have difficulty even staying together in the same house because of the anger, because of the contention, the strife, the difficulty. We each ought to ask ourselves, am I making my home a more delightful, better place, or am I the one causing the contention and the strife? You see, Solomon not only says marriage is good and that it can be a delight or it can be grief, Solomon also stresses that within marriage there must be faithfulness. Faithfulness means that I live up to the commitment that I made. On the day when you stood before a preacher or before a justice of the peace or someone else who was legally authorized to solemnize that marriage and you say that I promise to keep myself to this person and this person alone so long as we both shall live. Have you done that and do you do that? Listen to Solomon. Men are warned about the immoral woman. I've only chosen one section but there are numerous passages about it in the book of Proverbs. We're just going to look at chapter 6 in four verses. Verse 24, he says, To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the seductress. Verse 26, For by means of a harlot a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Verse 29, So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her, will not be innocent. Verse 32, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Do you understand that Solomon is describing a seductress? He's describing people who in society will undermine your home? I can tell you by knowledge of specific people that many I have known have had a marriage that appeared to be going in the right direction. And whether it was the man or whether it was the woman, somebody on the outside was seeking to try to invade that marriage. And here Solomon says, you have to be careful from that flattering tongue. There's always going to be somebody there trying to draw you away. But then he says, those who bite... Those who give in to it, they are reduced to a crust of bread. It's going to affect them financially. And then if you will notice, he said in verse 29, that those who do so will not go unpunished. And in verse 32, he destroys his own soul. How many people have lost their faith because they lost their faithfulness within their own marriage? You see, many times they go hand in hand. And so marriage can be 
something that can be good to build us up spiritually or it can be something that could tear us down if we are not faithful within it. And then Solomon emphasizes monogamy. I know we live in a world today where people jump around and they live with this one or they live with that one and society's almost convinced us that, oh, this will be all right, you can do it. But I want you to listen carefully to what he says in chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Drink waters from your own cistern and running waters from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours own only and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. He's not talking about the fountains of water that everybody could drink from. He's talking about the family and how that it's supposed to be within that family that the intimacy takes place and nowhere else. The monogamy, he said, why should you be embraced in the arms of a seductress? But Solomon doesn't just talk about the relationship of husbands and wives. He also talks about the relationships of parents and children. And you and I learn our parenting skills from our parents. In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Now Solomon, and I believe this is a reference to Solomon, but it, be that as it may, Chapter 31 talks about what a mother teaches her son. Those of us who are children should look to our parents and say, they provide wisdom, they provide guidance, they provide instruction. You go to chapter 1 and verse 8, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Instruction and law. Yes, within the home, there are rules and regulations. There are teachings, and there's an expectation for there to be following of them. Chapter 13, verse 1, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Chapter 15, verse 5, A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. You listen. To your parents, you learn something. But you see, it's not just as if parents are somehow dictators in the family and they have no concern or compassion for their children. In fact, the Bible gives a picture that parents bring children into a world of love where there is caring and kindness and some compassion Listen to chapter 17, verse 6. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Oh, what a beautiful perspective that he provides there. He talks about children's children. Grandchildren are the crown of old men. You want me to tell you whatever grandfather does? He walks around with pictures of his grandchildren. And he wants to talk about his grandchildren. And he wants to tell everybody everything they're doing and, and how well they're succeeding. See, a blessing that is. But then you listen to the last part of it. 
and the glory of children is their father. They look up with respect. Do you see the picture there? There's, there's love going both directions, appreciation for both directions. Chapter 4, verse 3. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. Those words just make chills come over you. You think about the father who looks at his son with pride and with, uh, you know, the ability to say, look what my boy is doing. But then he says, I was like the only one in the sight of my mother. How many of us have had a mother made us feel like we were special? That's the kind of love that a parent has for a child so that the child knows my father loves me, my mother loves me, I'm cared for. But that love should be returned with respect. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 11 says there's a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. When I read those words, it makes me think of society today when, you know, you go to a store somewhere or maybe you're in the park and you hear children speaking disrespectfully to their parents and you realize that's a characteristic of the culture of this age and you're trying to teach your children to show respect. You're trying to teach them to say yes ma'am and no ma'am, yes sir and no sir and then you find a society that doesn't have that respect. Verse 17 the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. That's God's perspective on it. God says you're going to find yourself having to suffer the consequences of that kind of attitude. But truly loved children are disciplined appropriately. That means that a, a loving parent does not always give in to whatever the child wants to do. A loving parent says, because I love you, I'm going to correct you. Herein, Solomon has a tremendous amount of wisdom. You could literally take days and just study through the verses that Solomon says on this subject. Let me refer you to some of the more important passages. Chapter 13, verse 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Solomon is talking about corporal punishment. And I know we live in a society today, in fact, I've read this last week, I believe it's on one of our networks, that the idea of spanking is dead. That that is a a relic of the past. Those who do not understand the value of corporal punishment do not appreciate and do not respect the Bible. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. You recognize the, the importance of the moment. Here's a teaching opportunity. Don't do this. Proverbs 22 verse 15 Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it from him. Some of us as children just were full of ourselves. And it took a little switch to drive that out of us to get our attention. Chapter 19, verse 18. Chasten your son while there is hope 
and do not set your heart on his destruction. While there is hope, the promptness of verse 24 of chapter 13 points out that there's a time in which this can be done where there's a benefit to it. Many people look and they find their children as teenagers and then they begin to try to exert discipline. You know what they find? They've already missed the boat. They're too late. They didn't get the opportunity to train their children while there was opportunity. And then he says in verse 18 there, and do not set your heart on his destruction. Solomon goes on to say in chapter 29, verse 15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. I want to draw attention to what he says in verse 15. The rod and rebuke. It's not as if just corporal punishment is enough. Because many times corporal punishment may leave the child thinking, well, they just don't love me anymore. But the rebuke explains why something was wrong. The rebuke says, I love you, but I am going to discipline you for this reason. If you don't do that, expect your children to bring shame to you. And then he says, Correct your son and he'll give you rest. Your life will be better as it comes along. Now let's talk about the relationship of siblings, brothers, and sisters. Solomon does not say as much about them as he does about parenting or as about the relationship of spouses. But what he says is extremely important. He says just as we have friends, brothers can be counted upon or depended upon during times of difficulty. In chapter 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend will love you all the times, but when you get into a situation of adversity, that's when you can count on your brothers. In fact, sometimes people will call a friend first, but brothers are there. In chapter 18, verse 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many times you and I find ourselves with friends who are even more near and dear to us than our own family. But we've got to remember we've got to keep our family with us as well. Sometimes we must enhance friendships because our brothers are at a distance. Now, for some of you, it's hard to imagine this because you've grown up in this area, you've lived all your life here, but many times families are transient. They've gone to other places to live. For those of us who preach, we many times find ourselves separated from our families. And Solomon is going to describe a situation in chapter 27, verse 10. He said, do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. 
Now, I think it's interesting that Solomon attaches friendship and brethren together in several passages. But he's talking about here, you don't forsake your friend or your father's friend, someone who's been a friend of the family, because there may come a time when you have to depend upon them because your family is far away. And so you, you learn to build relationships, whether that relationship is with friends or that relationship is with your family. But then Solomon gets to the point that he talks about broken relationships. And I dare say that if I were to ask each of you, how many of you have somebody in your family that you are at odds with? a brother or a sister. Most of us would have to admit that there are times in our lives when that strained relationship is there. The question arises is, why is it there? Who caused it? What can be done to resolve it? And Here's what he says in chapter 18, verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Solomon is trying to explain that conflict sometimes can make it hard to resolve issues. Sometimes brothers and sisters don't talk for years. Sometimes even life passes them by because of a contention that developed years ago. And he says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. It can, it can be very difficult to recover what has been lost. The bars of contention, like the bars of a castle. You and I need to think about what we can do to repair things as quickly and as successfully as we possibly can. Now, we've looked at spousal relationships. We've looked at uh, parental relationships and children and siblings, and so we come to the end and we say, sadly, Solomon didn't always follow his own advice. When we read about Solomon, what do we read? That he often had not been monogamous. He had many wives. He didn't marry the kind of woman that loved God. He married women who had foreign gods. And so you don't follow Solomon's poor path in life but you follow the wisdom that God gave him the best home is one where godliness and love and support can be found and are we going to be determined in our own homes in our families that we're going to be godly that we're going to love our children we're going to love our spouses we're going to love the family and we're going to be the kind of support that we ought to be Here's where you're going to get to the last aspect of it. In order to have a godly home, you yourself have to be godly. In order for me to be the leader of my home the way God would want me to be, in order for me to be a good parent, I've got to be a faithful Christian. And here's where some of us need to step back and say, I need to become a Christian. So I can be a godly leader in my home. So I can be the right example to my children. Some of us who are already Christians need to step back and say, am I leading the right way in my home? Or am I putting some other things ahead of God 
and ahead of the truth. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. I hope that if you're not a Christian this morning, you will say, because I believe in Jesus Christ, because I'm willing to change my life, I'm going to come forward and confess his name and be baptized. The Lord adding you to his church, then you live that wonderful Christian life. Or if you're struggling with the sin, you've let culture take over your life. Now it's time to come back. Be faithful to God. As Jesus says, come unto me, we're going to sing that song. It's together we stand and sing.